Are you ready to make 2017 the year you transform your life? You can wait for something to happen, or you're actually going to decide to go, go home after this weekend to do something about that. We all know that we have a very, very limited amount of time on this earth. So let's not have repeated years. Live your own life. Make the choice, make the decision for your own life. Fear is where you develop courage. There's a moment going, holy crap, all right, I'm gonna do this now. The wellness breakthrough is coming. And so you actually have that choice every single morning, every single day, every single moment to decide whether you're gonna live it to the fullest or not. Join myself, Marcus Pierce, and the wellness guys, Damien Christoph, Lawrence Tam, and Brett Hill for two nights and three days of transformation at the country place. 10 acres of breathtaking rainforest in the Dandenong Ranges of Victoria, February 17th to 19th. It's each and every single one of you are gonna support each other in your journey, whatever that journey is. Couples discounts available, limited spots remaining for all information and to watch the spine chilling video, go to thewellnessbreakthrough.com. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to The Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts, Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damien Kristoff, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to The Wellness Guys. I'm Lawrence Tam. I'm Damien Kristoff. And I'm Brett Hill. And this is The Wellness Guys Show, a weekly show dedicating bringing wellness into our lives. Brett, it was great to have you jump in in the middle of our last podcast <laughs> last week. Um, you know, we were missing you after a few weeks. I know. I'm here for, even here for the start of this one. Imagine that. That's good. It's I get good. to say my name. <laughs> oh. I think this might be the first one in the new year that you've actually been on for the full episode. Well, maybe. We'll see if you drop out using a PC. But, you know, <laughs> Damien, we were talking just before this recording of this show. Um, we were just talking about, you know, some of the health challenges that, you know, clients might be going through. And what, what we were just asking you, um, we asked you the question. It was, you know, what is the major things that most people are going through? And you mentioned something about gut health. Talk, tell us about that. Yeah, there's a lot of people with um, gastrointestinal dysfunction at the moment, boys. And, uh, and and in my practice, obviously, with a background of naturopathy, people do bring um, gastrointestinal things up with me. And, you know, I do have a fascination with a healthy poo. And and so I think that actually ha- helps people have those sorts of conversations with me as well. So it's not only spine um, that I'm dealing with the nervous system, I'm dealing a lot with gastrointestinal stuff. And there was a wave of gastrointestinal infection that seemed to happen um, in the earlier part of 2016, and uh, and as a result, people started chasing you know different types of programs that would assist them in getting their gut healthy again. But what I was noticing is that some people were going from not even crawling, you know, if we're using metaphors here, um, with their gastrointestinal health, like the, the gastrointestinal health was so immature as a result of the antibiotics that they'd taken or the infections that they'd had or all the troubles they had with the gastrointestinal system. And then they were trying to run sprints competing at the Olympics by using, you know, all kinds of fermented foods and, and things that are kind of very advanced for the gastrointestinal system way too early before they'd even learned to walk, so mm. to speak. So um, I thought it'd be a really good thing for us to talk about today uh, in terms of the staging of how do you heal 
a stripped gut. How do you get a gastrointestinal system healthy again, particularly after antibiotics or after um, antifungals or a combination of both when people are chasing, you know, the eradication of parasites or the re-inoculation of gastrointestinal microflora? Mm. How do we get that right and how do we stage that and when do we know? I thought we could talk about that today, boys. Yeah, you know, Damien, um, if it's okay, Brett, if, if I just want to ask this question because if it's okay with you, Brett, um, one of the key things here is that I noticed the t- trend and in regards to gut health and it's been a big trend in the last, I don't know, say two years. And is this a new thing like the next you know health thing and everybody's jumping on it or is there a reason why we're discussing at this point well it's i mean that's a really great thing i think there's been definitely a greater awareness like people have become way more aware of um how their gut's feeling i think a lot of people have always felt bloated and i think that in a great, we've had a greater understanding of irritable bowel disease and inflammatory or irritable bowel syndrome and inflammatory bowel disease. And so that, you know, let's say we go back 10 or 15, maybe 20 years ago, we used to say that you've got an irritable bowel and, you know, so naturopaths would go, well, you need probiotics, we've got to come off dairy, we've got to come off wheat or, or gluten or whatever it was. And we'd, we'd see many people get better, but there's still that group of people that didn't get better. And then um, Sue Shepard discovered FODMAPs, you know, the, the fermentable oligo, um, dye, mono, and polyols, I think is what it stands for, FODMAPs. So all the different sugars that can actually ferment in the gastrointestinal system. And so that then become the new or became the new kind of understanding for irritable bowel syndrome. So then we had the non-celiac gluten sensitivity where it was those people who removed gluten felt better even though they didn't have celiacs. Then we had the FODMAPs and then we've got lactose, casein. And so there's those that bundle and then there was still a subset of people that still had bloating and irritable gastrointestinal systems and then came along stool analysis and the discovery of a couple of different parasites and so all of a sudden um, there's been this um, black and white stripes in the jungle scenario where people have thought that they've seen a zebra when really it was just a Collingwood supporter or Port Adelaide supporter running through the jungle uh, and they've gone oh my gosh we better throw some antibiotics at those things because if you've got these parasites it could cause all these things and so um, through I suppose a little bit of information we've now gone and annihilated the gastrointestinal system, napalm the gut, trying to kill off these bugs because the new trendy thing is to try and diagnose a, um, a parasitic infection and then as a result caused an enormous amount of damage in the microflora of the gastrointestinal system to then, you know, have to go and throw a whole lot of other different bits and pieces at it to try and fix it. So it's kind of new but at the same time as old lt um it's kind of a combination of both it's probably come about through a better understanding of gastrointestinal system but when you consider how much there still is to learn about it it's going to take us forever to really you know probably not in i'm hoping to live over 100 and i don't think in my lifetime there'll be a complete understanding um of that so we've got at least another 60 years uh, where we won't fully understand the gastrointestinal system which i think is fascinating well, I'm still trying to get past the image of people bringing their gut dysbiosis issues into Damien's practice. Like, I'm literally imagining like little doggy bags. Just, you know, hey, Damo, what's going on with this one? What number would you give this one, Damo? It'd be fantastic. I'd love that. Um, but, Damo, I guess I'm not sure if this question Lawrence was getting at, but I'm curious as to what you think around this whole gut health thing. Like, it seems like we've gone through so many different phases where we say, you know, it's all about 
fat. We need to eliminate fat from our diet or it's all about sugar. We need to eliminate sugar from our diet. You know, we go through all these different phases where we just focus on one thing. And, and I think you hear so many people at the moment saying it's all about the gut. You know, all disease stems from the gut. Everything's about gut health. And it kind of seems to me like we're, we're doing it again. Like, do you think we're overemphasizing the importance of gut health at the expense of realizing that it's just one part of the whole picture? Or do you think the gut is just that important? Uh, that's that's a great question. Um, I think that what we do by behaving mechanistically, uh, and, and I'm, I don't mean this to sound um, disrespectful um, or condescending in any uh, sense of the the word or in, in any fashion, but when when we forget that the body acts as a whole and we start to look at the parts and we go, oh, it's spine or it's gut or it's brain or it's emotion or it's heart or whatever, we start to lose sight of the fact that the whole of the body lives in a symbiosis. And so any disruption to one area of the gastro or of the body, for example, the gastrointestinal tract will affect the health of the whole of the body. So you know, if you take sugar out of the diet or you take protein out of the diet or you include more protein in, at the expense of carbohydrate or you – whenever you throw, you know, balance out, there's going to be a shift. There's going to be a change in the body, which the body then has to adapt to. And, and we do tend to jump from one thing to another to another to another. And so I think in that respect – um, you know, we we're creating so many imbalances because we're being so extreme. You know, the next new one will be keto. That's what we're that's what we're looking. At. I thought it was going to be vegan, but I think the keto people got <laughs> in so, you know quicker than vegan. But you know, keto is becoming big at the moment, which we should do a podcast on. You know, at some point. But um, well, David, you know, let me, can gut, I, well, let me ask you this: like from go. a from a um, you know for the lay people listening to this, or just for any of your listeners, you know, how do how when it when should I know gut is important? It's like a wellness thing, right? Like you know, having a healthy gut is going to be a part of you know having a, a you know a healthy body, I guess. Um, but when is when is someone or when does someone uh, think they should have? You know, sorry, let me rephrase that question. When, <laughs> when would I be concerned or should be concerned? to look or investigate what my gut's doing whether it be healthy or not it's a great that's a great question you know when when do you pull the trigger so to speak um i think look some people uh, are very dissatisfied with the gastrointestinal function uh and and and, and maybe it revolves around pain that they're feeling or bloating that they're feeling or a sluggishness in the gastrointestinal system maybe it's constipation um some people feel that they you know they burp a lot and maybe they've got you know bad breath or um, you know, bloating, reflux, constipation, you know, all, all these sorts of things, that they, they could be triggers. If you're actually healthy, in other words, if you have none of those symptoms, then really I think looking at your stool, making sure that you're aware of how your bowels are moving, um, looking at whether you're pushing at a, a number one, two, three, four, five, six, or seven based on the Bristol stool chart or the forage poo chart. Uh, if, you, if you're aware of what's happening there, then that's pretty good knowledge. I don't think you need to go and investigate um, the health of, of, of your stool if you're asymptomatic. If you've got no symptoms, you don't need to go and check it out. Um, what there could be some other things, I suppose, that might trigger, you know, the need to look at it. it could be, you know, smelly flatulence, which is, you know, sometimes unrelated to bowel movements. Um, but, you know, smelly farts could be something to, to consider. An itchy bum, you know, could be indication of, say, a worm infestation. 
um, or you know, even maybe um, anal fissures or hemorrhoids could be you know a good reason to go and check things out as well. But for most people, they're not going to have those sorts of things going on. So yeah, like if you don't have those sorts of things going on, just go and check out the uh, the, the stool charts. Well, I'm just going to take it from the listeners. All right, if I was listening to this and you go smelly farts, but I mean, most of us would have some smelly farts at some point. Like, when is it being become a concern? Is it like you know you have some smelly farts consistently, you know, for a month or two months or continuously? Or do you do you do you know what I'm getting at? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So a smelly fart is, you know, is fair enough if you've had smelly food. So if you've had food that's going to stimulate a smelly fart, let's say it's salami or it's garlic or it's um, or it's an Asian meal that's had lots of different spices or you've had Indian or whatever, you would expect to have some smelly farts until that stool has moved Yeah, blame um, the Asians. And so- I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Or oh, maybe a pie could do it, I suppose. Yeah, I'm, just but I, yeah, I'm just thinking that, you know, there's often there's there's certain foods that would definitely generate a smelly fart. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and there's other foods like a salad with some chicken or a salad with fish that you would expect that almost no flatulence would mm. uh, would occur. But some people will experience flatulence almost immediately after they've consumed food. And that in that case, that's worth getting checked out. But you know, really, you just want to blow off a little bit of steam every now and then, um, but it shouldn't smell really, really bad, particularly if you haven't had food that uh, that should that would stimulate a smelly fart, if that makes sense. Right. So, um, if it's really smelly, like putrid, like it smells like something's dying up there, then it's highly likely something is probably dying up there, and you need to get that out. Mm. And so, oh, Brett, you got it. Sorry, don't I, sorry, I was I had my mute on. Um, sorry. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so is it different for everyone, Damo? Like in terms of what foods might cause your gut? Like, you know, you're saying certain foods, smelly foods, but is it is it the case that, you know, it might be an indication of foods that you're not dealing with so well as well? Like it mm-hmm. might be that some people eat certain foods and it makes them really gassy. Other people could eat the same food and not have a problem. And that's an yeah. indication that either you just don't deal well with that food or there's an issue with your gut that means you don't deal well with that food. Well, that's a that's a great question. Is that the chicken or the egg essentially is what you're saying? And so, in this regard, if if a particular food that isn't a you know a smelly food, like it actually doesn't have any kind of odor itself. Let's say, for example, let's take dairy. Some people will eat dairy, and not long after that, will feel quite bloated and mucusy, and will blow off some steam, and that can be quite odorous, and maybe even have some constipation or diarrhea as a result. That would be an indication that that, that person's gastrointestinal tract. Uh, doesn't doesn't actually handle dairy very well. So that's a good indicator. So yeah, you could go down the line of investigating what it is. Is it lactose? Is it casein? Is it whey? What is it that you're not digesting well, so that you could avoid that or take that out of your diet? That's that's one you know I suppose trigger to go and investigate that. But essentially. You want to tune in to what your gastrointestinal system saying. Like if, you, if your gut's saying that you, you're not dealing well with that food, it'll let you know. And it, it lets you know through rumbling and gurgling or it lets you know through smelly farts and uh, diarrhea constipation. So they're your signals really that you're not dealing well with food. And that indicates that you've either got the right or the wrong bacteria in your gastrointestinal tract. So you, you, you may need to... Um, to look at probiotics or you may need to look at some fermented foods or whatever it is that you need, you know, to, to bring about balance. Well, when you do discover that, just say you do, um, you know, have these, some of these symptoms and signs and symptoms that, you know, you discussed here, what are, what's the next logical step? Like how do someone go about, um, you know, investigating other than, you know, bring poo to your practice? 
<laughs> well, look, you, you definitely you don't need to bring any poo into my practice. We definitely we don't encourage that uh, at all. But <laughs> definitely the conversation. We encourage it. it. It's we, pretty funny, though. We, <laughs> take it to uh, take it up to the northern beaches of New South Wales if that's what you're into. But I we, we will have a great conversation about it. That's that's what we do do. But um, you can go to your naturopath. You can go to your holistic GP, and you can check these things out. But here's my caution. My caution is that it's important to not go hell for leather on trying to rip out or kill off or create die-off of bacteria or anything in the gastrointestinal system uh, without really um, some serious thought about it. Now, you're probably going to go, well, if I'm going to go pay a naturopath or I'm going to go pay a, a GP you know, for advice, then and they tell me that I've got to go and take some antibiotics or I've got to go and take some herbs to knock off some bacteria, then I'm going to do it. My, my thing is, is that I would much prefer people to actually tread lightly and use food and use probiotics to nourish the gut rather than to go and start to take antiparasitics or to go and take um, antibiotics or antifungals uh, as their first port. And I did a, a, a chat um, it, it was on a gut summit. I can't remember who. It might have been with um, with Andrea from from Thermomix. We actually spoke about nourishing the gut. So loving loving the gut so much, making it such a beautiful environment that the bad guys don't want to live there anymore. And mm. and I like to use that philosophy with, I suppose, all parts of health. If you if you deliver to the the whole of the body everything that it requires then the things that shouldn't live there shouldn't live there, if you know what I mean. It's, it's the same as in the gastrointestinal system. The gut maintains unbelievable function unless it becomes compromised. If it becomes compromised and then you further compromise it by taking antiparasitics or you go and take you know, antifungals or antibiotics, if you, if you affect the gut and then you try and fix it, it's very, very difficult. And you've right. got to give yourself a good couple of years to fix it. It's not just, oh, I'll just go and take a, a bottle of inner, inner health from you know health world and that will fix me it, you're going to have to take bottles and bottles of different probiotics over a number of different years to try and fix it and we're talking off air boys about doing the gaps program you know joe witten's program and and that's becoming quite popular brett you were saying that in your practice lots of people are doing the gaps program mm. and that's that's a great grounding for a total repair of the gastrointestinal system and uh and so you know maybe for some people that could be a great place to start but i certainly wouldn't recommend trying to kill off uh bugs hoping that it's not going to do too much damage because the result will be that it does do lots of damage like that gap's probably so it's, like two years isn't that correct or it is yeah it's a two-year program and yeah. so you know i think the fascinating thing about that is that it is a two-year program and people when they do do the gaps program are 100 percent committed to it but what I find really fascinating is that people could be so, so, so incredibly sick um, with with gastrointestinal system, gastrointestinal health, that um, quite often they might be three, four, five, six, seven, or ten months into their gut healing program, and they want to escalate it, and they want it to fix up fast, and they want to get it all right overnight, and uh, and then they start to make some decisions that you know could in fact actually be disabling their uh, their health process or their health program if you know if the gut is going to take two to four years to heal don't try and bring things too to, you know don't bring things you know fast forwarding in your gastrointestinal function or in your dietary con, you know consumption too early because it will just disrupt things so just take your time and give yourself some some space there because it, it will take that's like the spine right that the spine takes 
months and months and months and months and sometimes years to get back to healthy uh, if people have been you know ne- neglecting it it's the same as the gut if the gut um, is sick it's going to take time it's like if you've got cancer it doesn't take just a couple of weeks to get over it it's it's a disease that takes a long long time to get over so you've, you've really got to give yourself a lot of opportunity to heal yourself and uh and and I, and I think that people have got to have some patience around it yeah well that's what was going to be my next question Damo. is that fundamentally the problem that we're looking we're still looking for quick fixes you know, even though we're perhaps taking a more holistic view we're looking perhaps more at the diet but we're still trying to get it to change quickly and overnight and perhaps the approach you're suggesting which is just creating the healthy environment and allowing time for your body to return to homeostasis um you know may perhaps take longer although you know as as you're saying you know some of these other programs take a long time as well but but you might not see the sudden drastic changes where if you do a total clean out and you have a massive die off and you see these huge changes suddenly um, is that the challenge with the approach you're suggesting, that people might not in- initially see rapid changes right from the start and they might de- get discouraged by that? Yeah, I, I think so. I think people are looking for fast change. And, you know, we've been conditioned to think that medicine should be quick and healing should be quick because when you take a drug, uh, the symptoms are merely ameliorated very, very quickly. But um, the the true health of the system, true health of the body doesn't you know, restore that quickly. If you look at how how many days it takes for the gastrointestinal system lining to be replaced, which is like 30 days, or red blood cells to be replaced, which is 90 days, it, it, there's a whole healing cycle that has to take place in order for all this here to, you know, be corrected, to be fixed. Um, but the urgency by which people want it, I think, is somewhat unrealistic. And I think that that's been perpetuated by, you know, different organizations, different companies that kind of suggest that, you know, if you just take their product, it'll fix you and you'll be right. But the reality is that it is going to take some time and you've just got to space it. So I think where I'm going with this is, you know, some people are picking up different types of um, products online or, you know, being recommended to do different types of programs, like a gut healing product, you know, program, for example, but it skips many steps and it doesn't take any consideration that if your gut is really unhealthy, it's going to take some time to try to identify the foods that you, you should probably avoid, um, put in the probiotics uh, or the micro the, the microbiota that really do need to be there what are the ones that are actually missing not the ones that are actually there so the fact that um blastocystis as a parasite is actually there that's not the problem the problem is that blastocystis was allowed to live there in the first place so what are the what are the bacteria and what are the yeast that were missing in the first place that allowed these parasites to come in so it's probably doing a bit more investigative work rather than actually going down the track of just going oh my gosh i got i've got a parasite i better kill it and then you know mop up the damage sometimes there's so much damage already in place that um you know you, you create more damage so uh, Starting slow is where I'm. I'm kind of. I'm going with that. Well, you know, there's a lot of things that happens uh, with, you know, obviously with gut health. There's so much detail, like you said, you need to do investigation. So it's very hard to kind of give a prescription to, you know, everybody that is watching kind of do. But is there certain things that you could recommend to people to at least begin to add? to their particular food like you said you can you know you change the environment of itself so the bacteria lives so the good one lives and the bad one dies off anyways can can you give a recommendation so what people should be doing in terms of you know for most people listening to this at a minimum start or the good starting point to ensure that their diet consists of these things 
Yeah, mate, I, that's that's a great question. Look, and I think, and, and I don't want this to sound too stereotypical um, from a naturopathic perspective, but you'll definitely hear any holistic practitioner or naturopathic practitioner um, recommend the removal of dairy and gluten. Now, in some situations, um, that won't fix the problem, and uh, but that doesn't mean that those foods are going to be okay to actually include in, in the diet. Um, but it could mean that it is okay to include them in the diet. So, you know, I would start with dairy and gluten, like straight off the bat. Um, I, I, I don't tend to recommend, and but I do sometimes, I don't tend to recommend that people go fully grain-free. Um, and the reason is, is because a lot of people don't have enough resistant starch in their diet to allow beneficial bacteria to be able to grow. So if their gastrointestinal system is in such poor quality and then they go grain-free totally, that can in fact cause more challenge. Um, However, there are some people that have very, very poor gastrointestinal health and then they present with psychological symptoms um, and that's where I'd recommend that they go grain-free and follow the GAPS program, which is the gut and psychological symptoms um, program and that's that's a great program to kind of um, nourish the gut and to help heal the brain at the same time like it's that's very 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 good uh, but if it's not that severe if it's not if we're not talking you know learning dis- disabilities or s- psychology associated symptoms um, with the gut and we're talking about bloating and indigestion constipation diarrhea then we can look at a small exclusion diet of gluten and dairy um, put in there lots of fruits and vegetables um, and and then if things start to improve then that's fantastic but I'd always look at cycling different types of probiotics so I always start with you know your simple probiotics like your infant strain probiotics um not not the adult strain probiotics if somebody's had lots of um, antibiotics uh, and they've you know many women actually present to us in our practice and they've had antibiotics and they've taken the contraceptive pill that also creates dysbiosis in the gastrointestinal tract i'll put people onto infant strain bacteria um you know the ones that you'd feed children infants that are breastfeeding um for a couple of months just to put into the gut you know, the good baby biotics that should be there in the first place. And at the same time, I'll put in there some colostrum. So sometimes that's goat's colostrum. Sometimes that's cow colostrum. It just depends on, on you know, how people are actually uh, traveling with their gut health um, and what sort of sem- symptoms and sensitivities they have. But you need the colostrum and you need the um, the resistant starch and you need the probiotics going in there to try and create some shift and some change. And then Generally, I'd throw in there some different ingredients such as glutamine, so amino acid for you know for healing the gastrointestinal system. Maybe some aloe vera, maybe some psyllium hulls. There's just different herbs that I might use depending on the symptoms that people might be experiencing that can assist them with uh, the repair of the gastrointestinal tract. And uh, and and it's that slow approach. That approach, just what I've mentioned there, is a three to six, maybe nine months approach uh, before we'd even move into the fermentation of foods. So some people are really keen to move into fermented foods, but fermenting foods like kefir and like kefir grains, um, sauerkraut and kimchi and those sorts of they're advanced foods. You wouldn't feed those to a newborn baby, um, and 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 sometimes you've got to treat an adult's gastrointestinal system as if it's a newborn newborn baby's um, gastrointestinal system. So it's just you know pushing the pause button for a little bit. So what happens then? Like what happens inside the body if you do start introducing those more advanced uh, probiotics before you've gone and done the baby steps and rebuilt um, rebuilt the gut from like you said literally from from the baby probiotics through? What happens if you skip that step? 
That's a great question, Brett. It, it comes back to similar, and you can draw this analogy, and you know, chiropractors who are listening to this particular podcast or mums and dads listening to this particular podcast will identify with this because we talk about the stages of development uh, of babies. And so when a baby is first born, it's born with some reflexes and then some other reflexes fall into place and then they disappear. And so those primitive reflexes are staged and they, they happen at various stages and times on a time continuum through the development of the baby and then you know we know that crawling is very very important and that that should happen before walking and then that walking should happen before running and and so on and so forth and so and all all of these stages build upon the next phase or the next stage of development which is very very important for the synapse of the brain the same approach needs to be taken with the gastrointestinal system if you don't take you know i suppose a a developmental approach to the gastrointestinal system and the re-inoculation of the gastrointestinal tract with the appropriate microbiome or microflora. If you don't do that, what you'll set up is unopposed bacteria that uh, that can run rampant. So this is where you get an infection or an overgrowth of good bacteria at the expense of other beneficial bacteria. So these are the commensal bugs or the bacteria that should have lived in the gut in a nice, healthy, symbiotic environment that are kept in check by each other. So it's kind of like putting too many police into the you know into the community if we've got way too many you know police in the community they're all just going to be trying to find problems but if you've got a community that's healthy and good then to some extent the community can keep the police in check and the police keep the community in check it's that you just don't want to throw in there too much of one particular part of the community because that whole community starts to fall apart so you don't want to have the older guys in the gut before the young guys have had a chance to actually, you know, settle in and just, you know, make some nice, comfortable little homes in the gut. So one of the things that Damien, like, obviously you've given so much information, it's, it's just fascinating. So what you got, you know, probably got a couple more minutes here. What's the last thing, you know, any last minute thoughts that you want to tell our listeners to ensure they, they think about or do with regards to gut health? Yeah, I, I do, LT. I, I want people to, I suppose, be a little bit cautious about it. I don't want people to go and, you know, race and jump onto the next big gut healing thing, you know, just because someone's had great success with it. Don't expect that you're definitely going to have success with it. And also look at the degrees of investigation. If somebody says to you, yep, you've got a parasite, but they've never actually tested you for the parasite, it's highly likely that either they've got that diagnosis wrong or that there's another motivation behind the reason why they're providing um, the advice. And, and I don't want to point fingers. I don't want to, you know, make people sound to be crooked or crooks or anything in that regard. What I'm trying to suggest here is that it's really important to test first. Make sure you understand exactly what's happening with the gastrointestinal system. So it could be a stool analysis that's done by the GP. It could be a stool analysis done by the naturopath. It could be an IgE food sensitivity panel that's done. Like it, it could be any of those sorts of things. But before there's a diagnosis, there must be some tests done. Just because you you've got just a set put of your symptoms. Put in the post and send it to Damien Christoph. <laughs> Don't pop your poo in the post, as well as me. <laughs> um, but you may need to put your poo in the post and send it off to a lab. That may be what you do need to do. But uh, investigation is key. I, I, I really hope that the message that people get from this particular podcast is that it's important to get all the information first before just jumping on a band wagon and uh, and taking a whole lot of stuff that could in fact be doing you more damage um, and, and just go slowly with the gut it's not something that moves fast and if the gut's moving fast then there's something wrong so you've got to make sure it's moving at the right pace 
Damien, it's always so fascinating to hear you speaking when you're passionate about something. And so it's just great to hear. And it's just so, you're such a wealth of knowledge. So thanks for uh, sharing that with our listeners. This is a great episode. Um, I'm, I assume that you also wouldn't mind maybe um, sharing um, the poo chart, the Ford poo chart uh, with our listeners. Uh, yeah, please go check it out. You can actually just go to the foragecereal.com website. And, uh, and then once you sign up for a newsletter, you get access to it. Now, the, I know that what that means is that you might get some newsletters. You can unsubscribe from the newsletters um, and you still have access to your poo chart. So um, just just sign up on the website and then you'll get, you get access to the poo chart. That's foragecereal.com. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. Guys, um, make sure you join us on Facebook. And um, <clears throat> Oh, man, I'm losing my voice. But uh, love to join us on Facebook. Like us there. You might have a parasite. I might. I might have to. I'm going to send my poo to PO Box five 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 Sandringham. That's where you need to send your uh, your poos. Uh, we'll, we'll put the um, Damien's practice uh, address in the in the show. Notes. Damien's Damien's a Richmond supporter, so he's used to poo being left on his doorstep. That's fine. Oh, that was... <laughs> no, no, it's just like this. I'm used to poo because I I usually watch it most weeks. That's uh, I just see a bunch of poo running around on the footy oh, field. I... <clears throat> I can see that. I can put the 49ers on that uh, on that list as well. Guys, uh, share this podcast with your friends and families and other strangers you think need a wellness update and uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. While you're there, please give us a rating because it will help other people find the Wellness Guys podcast. So until next week, begin creating wellness dualized, lead by example, and let's change the world's health together. Join us next week on the Wellness Guys show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.